the competitive 40K Network presents Art of War. Art of War. Strategy and tactics. Discussion with the best players on the planet. Your hosts, Nick Nanavati and John Damaris. Nick Nanavati and John Damaris. Hello and welcome to another exciting edition of the Art of War podcast. I'm your host, John Damaris, and we have the Tom Brady of Warhammer 40K back in studio. Nick Nadavati is here to help us break down some White Scars talk because we've got Pat McEnany, and I hope I said that right, Pat. Um, you nailed it. Yeah, to come talk about his White Scars after taking down a very big tournament, uh, the Maryland Open, which had some very big guns at that tournament. So congratulations to you, Pat. Nick, why don't you go ahead and introduce Pat? I know you've known him for quite some time. Talk a little bit about uh, kind of the player that he is, and then let's talk about some scars. Sure. Pat's a longtime player in the hobby, as you can tell by his, his ancient beard and his enthusiasm. Um, he's always played Ultra Smurfs, but now I guess he's stepping into the White Scars these days, but always a diehard Marine player. Um, Pat's always been on the top tables. You'll often see him swinging and uh, you know, coming close but not quite, close but not quite, but looks like finally close and quite like pat broke through he won his uh, gt and uh we're getting on to talk about these white scars pat how you doing i'm doing fantastic finally broke that glass ceiling <laughs> yeah how's it feel how's it feel oh baby almost shed a tear almost. Oh. But not really. it's, it's really nice to see someone who like works really hard for years and years and years and you know you're watching them like i've watched you like get better over time and you know i don't i don't I look back and it's like, I would have never thought you could win a, a major GT like this. It's like back in the day, you know, Pat, he's playing for fun, going three and three of these tournaments and to see your progression over the years. It's been uh, really, really just nice to see. Well done. Yeah. As I recall at the uh, Golden Sprue, you whooped me in a final one when I got <laughs> going to shoot Magnus. Knocked me down to like 12th place. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Um, well, on that note, we're here today to talk about your white scars and their glory. Some say it couldn't be done. Some say Space Marines had their time in their sun. But Pat, somehow you have stayed tried and true and, and pulled it off. Why white scars? I want to ask that first off. Well, uh, you know, when when the Space Marines blew up, right, uh, that actually got worse for me because I'm not one to jump around. You know, and I, I play what I like and, and stay with it, you know. Um, I think that, uh, you know, the white scars, I did all of six and seventh, hundred percent white scars and eighth edition rolled around and they just really didn't, didn't carry the punch. And as soon as, uh, ninth dropped and, you know, the, the changes to the codex, the, the scars got very intriguing again. And, uh, you know, so I ripped all the use off and put Gilliman back on the shelf and put away the fire raptors and, you know, dusted off the, one of the, the 74 bikes and got some play guard and, painted them all up pretty and put the axes on and a bunch of ranger tabs and uh you know they're just enthused by the speed and the and the, the staying power and the you know the buffs in combat i was always uh, the style of my play is getting your face i was never a static line gunner or whatever i even when i was playing gilliman you know he everything he could do to get across the table and punch in the mouth so, you know that's the style of, of uh warhammer that i play so that was the uh, excitement well, and, and I mean, I think what's really exciting about having you on here, Pat, is at the Maryland Open, Mark Hurdle was there just off his, you know, great performance at uh, Dallas Open. And he was nice enough to knock Sean Naden out for you by one point again, which was really cool. Uh, and there was there was just like 
there was a murderer's row of really, really good players, though. So congratulations. And before we get into the discussion, I just want to remind our listeners that this is episode one, which we call our strategy discussion, which we're going to talk about what's in Pat's list, why it's in the list. And then uh, in episode two, which is available to patrons or through the Art of War 40K website, we'll get into the the tactics and we'll talk about how the list plays and 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 what is his secret sauce in individual matchups to give him this great great victory okay nick why don't you go ahead and ask the first question let's get going sure thing pat why don't you walk us through your list just top to bottom okay so basically um it starts out with a con on bike and he's been given the relic the wrath of heaven uh he's also he carries the spear the uh, and he is not the warlord. The reason he's in there is he's, um, you know, in the, in the first iterations of the of the list, he was there as the warlord. But, you know, his job is the assassin, right? He buffs the guys early on. And, uh, you know, when it gets down and dirty towards the end of the game and he needs to go off and kill somebody causing problems, then I'm all about sending that dude in and, and do his job. Um, what's nice about that bike is in the movement phase, you know, he's ignoring terrain models. He can, he can jump out 22 inches and kill a salt. Uh, when he's coming in with that, with that, uh, big old spear, you know, and his wings flailing, uh, you know, he's hitting at strength 10, six attacks, you know, doesn't get the rerolls anymore, but in turns two and three is D three plus one damage. So he's, he's a consistent at, at, at knocking off someone's, you know, uh, troublesome character or something like that or locking up a tank or, you know something to stop it from shooting sometimes he even lived through it you know, which is always an amazing game for me uh, but that's uh that's really his role uh then i um and then i was rubbing, running a uh, reaver lieutenant and the lieutenant uh i gave him uh paid cp give him rights of war and then also uh, another CP to give him uh, the Plume of the Plains runner. That's the movement because my army is all about movement and we got to get across the board and stop these fiends from, uh, you know, trying to take the Emperor's property or whatever. And then so, you know, and he, the reason for the Reaver Lieutenant, two reasons, one, he's 75 points, uh, but the, he also can spend CP. Not only does he give the OPSEC, but he can also uh, turn OPSEC off for an investment uh, two CP, uh, and then, you know, just speeding the people up. And then early on in the game, when you got to take down those troublesome big monsters or, uh, you know, vehicles, like in the game of Mark in round five, uh, when something's got to die, you know, re-rolling ones is very helpful. Uh, the third, uh, and that's it for the, uh, and then we, the, to the warlord, um, uh, you know, stock standard chaplain on bike, uh, buffed up with the, uh, master of sanctity uh he was running uh, for um his uh relic i had given him the rod of galpamore which uh just it make the psychers you know just not storm across the board and uh you know hurt people's feelings so you know if you step in within 18 inches of them uh you become minus one to cast uh and then uh, if you fail uh a cast and on a four up you take d3 mortal wounds not that that's a huge deterrent, but it does make people stay out of range and, you know, they're, they're not able to uh, effectively uh, create their uh, game plan. You know, just enough disruption to make them think about it. Then on to the next, we had two units of assault intercessors, no upgrades, just straight chainsword and bolt pistol. A unit of incursors, which uh, throughout the entire weekend uh, was imperative um, when I had to 
you know, someone would advance, deploy something uh, on, you know, near an objective or whatever, these incursors would be advancing right off the back and uh, setting up and, and just grabbing them, locking them up, stealing that objective early on. Or uh, in, a, in a situation where I went second, they would act as a screening unit or um, advance to get, uh, you know, engage on all fronts. Because those were pretty much my primary objectives were engage on all fronts, deploy scramblers, those type of things. Things I could control um, without having to, uh, you know, think and then I could focus on the mission. Uh, as far as elites I go into at an apothecary, he was just, uh, you know, firstborn. He's running around with the uh, selfless healer upgrade, and then uh, what did I give him? And that was it. I just I just kept him cheap and close by. No no other additional upgrades on him. He's just to, to tuck in there and uh, you know keep my bikes alive, keep my blade guard alive. When the whenever I didn't go first, you know I used a Nick Nottabody uh, style of deployment. So I curl up in a little ball and then Voltron out like a crazy person. Yeah, it's working out real effective. I'll just shout out, Pat. I'll just shout out, Pat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you should. Uh, you should give him money. Yeah, I'm a fan. Um, and then for my elites, you know, I got two five main units of blade guards, uh, just from their sheer toughness. Usually, uh, you know, just stack them up. Or a lot of times, I found myself um, splitting them up. You know, keep one in my castle and one off to the flank to go. You know, pressure pressure other areas which is it's kind of an evolution in in what i've been doing lately so i, th- I think that worked out really well uh and then uh a change from dallas i i went with um two small five-man units of vanguard uh storm shield and uh lightning claws i dropped the power fist on them added the second unit and the reason being is they just were so effective uh, in Dallas with their movement, their ability to deep strike, get that um, third deploy or the far um, deployment. And then not only that, in turn three, they just, you know, haul off nasty 21 attacks, you know, re-rolling the wound. And they can operate independently of my characters. They don't require uh, a lot of stuff plus advance and charge. They were wicked effective. Uh, they definitely found a home, especially after that drubbing I took from Oliver over in Texas. Uh, you know, so if anything, they're going to be more. As far as my shooting, all came out of fast attack. I had two units of uh, three melter bikes. Speed, devastation, the armor was very helpful. You know, the bolters in round two, uh, you know, splitting up the fire. Round out the uh, fast attacks and had a four-man unit of interceptors, which was also an adjustment. The five just seemed too much. And they were putting out enough, uh, you know, troublesome uh, firepower to, um, you know, in, enact the game. Now, a lot of times I kind of split putting them in or, or, uh, reserving them. It was nice having that much flexibility, uh, to get around the table and, and pressure where I needed to pressure and block where I needed to block and kill where I needed to kill was epic. And then, uh, and then a little bit of tech. Now I've been running, uh, land speed of storms forever. Cause I was always a big proponent of scouts in all my lists. But then they took scouts out of the troops and made them elite. So the the storms fell by the wayside for a while. And then because of the way uh, the battlefield setting up and, you know, the way uh, getting objectives and my plan to grab deploy scramblers engaged on all fronts and a lot of um, 
you know, of the uh, the movement related uh, objective holding that the storm stayed in, and they they were uh, a mega effective uh, unit for me. And that's pretty much the list and and the the way I was using the pieces. All right, so it sounds like a really well refined, just variation of white scars, like. You need to take exactly four plasma setters and one squads because you like the flexibility and being able to the pressure. I like the way you described that. Just everything was very well thought out and methodical. How do you play this army on the table? Like, what's the overall strategy to it? Are you typically defensive, waiting till turn three, charging across the table as fast as you can? How do you play the game? It depends on who the opponent is and what I'm facing across the table. And it, and it seems, other than, you know, the deployment, I mean, I didn't even do the same deployment twice in the entire game, uh, in the entire, uh, we'll call it 13 rounds, because the, the Dallas was very similar, uh, this style field. But every single army, every deployment, every battlefield uh, brings uh, a different aspect of deployment. So there's no standard operating procedure other than, you know, castle up the bikes and hide everything as much as you can, uh, primarily you know, you want a blade guard unit up front, especially if there's, um, you know, uh, a center objective. Because if there's a center objective, you know, the, the chances are that third uh, secondary might be ultra moment or whatever. And that's also where the speeders would come in. And it also depends on what my opponent could bring to the table as far as first turn firepower. You know, if you've got a ton of artillery or, you know, it was also built to counter, you know, the nasty, uh, uh, you know, your army, Nick, the Dark Eldar, you know, oh, we'll, so I we'll cover to, to reserve sure. a lot of my um, ability to get around the board, which is why there's so many deep strike elements. You know, the speeders bring that to the table with their ability to outflank. Um, they also, uh, the two jump, the three jump units, right, as the two Vanguard vets and the, um, and the Inceptors, uh, I'm able to reserve all that stuff if I, especially if there's no terrain on the table and I have a very limited amount of hiding, uh, that's then I would, you know, outflank that stuff, hide those units off the table, let them come in later where they're safe. And then, uh, the bulk of my army can hold up in a little ball and, you know, try to absorb the, um, the pounding that I would get off. And then that's through, you know, the guys with the invo saves or, um, you know, praying for sixes on the field, no pain. Uh, normally I would survive that. I think only one, one round I was, I lost a unit of bikes, uh, completely in the, in the first round of shooting. But other than that, I don't think I, in most games, even when they took, uh, you know, uh, not in the ranks, but, um, what's that grind them down. I don't think I gave that up, but in three turns, the entire tournament, because, you know, one using the terrain, the old, uh, you know, screening yourself, having the ability to move fast enough and and i would give uh some big props to both dallas and uh you know uh anthony down at the mdo the terrain was excellent you know there was plenty of cover lots of things lots of forest you know no bowling balls uh playing bowling ball anywhere so it was very effective um and then the way i play the army is and, and it depends if you left me a target and they were way close to my infiltrators uh my incursors as i was and them dudes were on their high horse running, advancing, and trying to lock up that unit or touch something right in the first turn. And normally you'd be silly enough to put that stuff near an objective. Some dudes would pile in, lock you up, you know, if I had to do the 3D6 charge or whatever. And that's just to give them something to think about. 
uh, in the beginning. Uh, and, and it depends if we're talking about individual games, like uh, against Mark and the Mechanicus in round five, I sold out um, the Infiltrators and uh, advanced up my Incursors and, uh, yeah, the Incursors, uh, Inceptors, and just sold them out and went and touched things and locked things up and made him work in his own, um, made him work in his own end zone and allow me the ability to move around the table, which is, which is key. And then the multi bikes are fast. Everything's fast. And, you know, that is, that is something I want to concentrate on Pat for just a second. Uh, One thing that strikes me about your list is everything moves wherever it wants to apply pressure, wherever you need it. And so you have the ultimate flexibility to sort of pick your engagements, right? Because the only thing that's really slow on your list is the blade guard. Right, everything else is just wicked fast, um, and even the blade guard can advance and charge, and I guess the assault interceptors too, right? Um, or intercessors. So, uh, did you find that the speed of your list caught your opponents off guard? Like, were you in people's faces a lot? Every single opponent was, you know, even uh, one of the rounds, he's, he's, he's like laughing at me. He's like, I thought I had this one in the bag, you know, and he got his, his feelings hurt, you know. Uh, just they, they don't understand what's about to hit them in, in in the hands of a good general and someone who understands the tabletop and the movement and their capabilities. You know, I got all kinds of pluses on top of that too, with the plume of planes runner. You know, that's not no secret tech or whatever. But also the chaplain getting off the plus two to charge. Normally, uh, you know, I, they're quickly easily moving thirteen inches with a good set of rolls and you know and 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 then charging again even after that if necessary. Uh, a lot of times, you know, you just want to get them thinking about it. And it, it, the movement is not about just touching them. It's about making them go where you want them to go and setting up little, you know, basically kill zones. You know, they'll come around and, they, you know, they're, oh, damn, I can't get in front of that play guard. I think I'll go a little bit to the right. And all of a sudden, boom, the melt bikes Voltron out, re-rolling one to hit, one to wound, plus one to hit. And whatever went out there just got annihilated. And they're like, oh, my God what happened it, it it packs enough punch um to really get there so you know it's just faint counter faint and you know and then like uh, against mark i just had to touch everything and keep his entire army from shooting me to death which is how we played it so it sounds like your army strategy is just super adaptable to the situation if your opponent's good at shooting you can blitz them in close combat if your opponent's um trying to fight you in close combat you can run away and shoot them like your army's very flexible and because it's so fast and explosive you can really pack the punch when it's time to do it how do you play the game at your own pace basically while also being respectful to the mission like how are you playing the primaries while you're doing well really initially it depends on the battlefield and 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 how it takes place like uh so uh, except for in the final, you know, you want to get engaged on all fronts. And that's if the speeders are on the table, one's going right, one's going left, or one will shoot to the middle and, and grab, a, you know, all the moment, especially if I'm going second. Um, <clears throat> a lot of times I'd reserve one for engage. Uh, and it, and it, a lot of that has to do with, um, you know, how they deployed or, if, uh, you know, my decisions would be made off the type of army I'm facing, you know. The beautiful thing about always reserving something is making them respect their backfield, which also has forces my opponent to play into uh, what my game is. Because if he's back there having to protect his back, um, his backfield, then he's not, uh, you know, setting up enough of a block up front where I'm able to reach in and touch things. Um, 
I think the, uh, and, and those are the primary ones. If you've got a center objective, it's guarantee you it's ultimate moment, especially if they have vehicles or a lot of characters. Um, the beautiful thing about the army, especially like in round three versus the ultramarine player, I was able to lock him in his deployment zone and I never had to engage him. I don't think I even fired at him until like almost round three, other than a couple of hitter patter shots. And all I did was, you know, storm up, set up a block, kept them pinned in their zone, let them kill off some little things, you know, use the speeders in that way. And I was able to just, uh, you know, pick them to pieces until it was time to pounce, you know. And at that point, it was there's nothing he could do because I, I engaged him from two sides, from the left and the right on his deployment zone, you know. So it actually worked out really well. And then in, in the type of match, you know, I had um, reserved both of the uh, the Vanguard veterans. So, you know, the deploy scramblers, I owned it. I stopped him from getting his, um, you know, it, it gives me a lot of battlefield control, the way the army set up. Yeah, I definitely can see that. I, I do think like I've played against white scars like I enough times they will totally dominate the table and make you feel like you can't move anywhere because they'll just pounce on you and it's so friggin' hard and it's so challenging to play against them. There's a lot of new variations to white scars though, and I've seen a lot, a lot of things like contempt or dreadnoughts being very popular. And, and uh, you're not running them or you're not going for those routes. What's uh, what's keeping you more to this bike style? Yeah, well the. You know, the I've looked at the contempt of dreadnoughts. I even, you know, it's not like I don't own five of them because I do. Um, the and and I've contemplated it. The problem is when you know you got to know who you are, right? It's nice to lay back and shoot and you know or own some some lanes or whatever. And you know, I, I definitely got my feelings hurt by that list with the three mortis contempt of dreadnoughts and the thirty vanguard run by Oliver out there. Uh, you know, it was an amazing army. Uh, well, when I look at the, the, the sum total of all the matches that I had in Texas, the only one I that was the only time I got handled. The only one I, I truly lost was to my Death Guard opponent. And that's because I met him in the middle. Uh, not even, I, I don't know, must have been tired or a complete lapse of reason. But I fought him in his own game and I, and I paid the price. Um, I don't think the Dreadnoughts are necessary. And it, they're slow. You know what I mean? The ponderous, you're investing 175 points in them or 155 points in them, nine wounds. They're, I don't know. It's just not my style of play. Every now and then one will creep in and I was like, all right, I'll try them out. But it's just in my entire career, it's always been, you know, I like the bikes, the fast moving, the ability to control the battlefield, you know, uh, those type of things. And if they would make them uh, a little more efficient, there'd be a lot of bikes. Don't the white cars have the strats so they can like move and advance and fire the dreadnought, or am I misremembering that? Uh, it, everybody can do it, but it's it's spending CP, you know. And I did that with the bikes on a few occasions, where the, the heavy weapons turn into assault weapons, and white cars fire their assault weapons without uh, without penalty. Um, and I believe that's a two CP strat. I, I can't remember. I only did it like once. What I just threatened everybody with it. I said, well, you know, you got to respect that because I can move like uh, you know. Uh, 20 inches and, and or 21 inches because of the plume in the planes runner and still fire off melted shots at 24 inches with a oh, plus one to hit, you know. Um, and it also helps to control the battlefield just like the rod of Galtimore. You know, uh, people don't want their little you know, squishy psychers taking D3 additional mortal wounds just for messing up. So it's, uh, you know, and that's what a lot of it is about. One, to make your opponent think and 
and two to um, you know try to control the battlefield through intimidation. So here's another one for you. Everyone always talks about Mr. Khan. Why why isn't Khan in your list? He's like you have Khan on a bike, but he's not Corsair Khan. Yeah, he's not in my list for the same reason that uh, you know the uh, Reaver Lieutenant's about to get fired is because you know they can't move. They're so slow. In my opinion, uh, it's a liability. You know, uh, Reaver Lieutenant's getting fired. So what is this? Like you have the Blade Guard. They're like pretty slow relative to like the rest of your bikes and stuff. Can't your characters just hang out with your Blade Guard as the escorts and just yeah wander around? So let's pretend you got that pesky little Archon sitting over on the one objective and and my guys are hemmed up battlefield and in the left and you know what he's just scoring and scoring and scoring and all of a sudden my captain is is he's like you know you know what hold my beer i'll be back and then boom he's gone assassinate that dude and then you know now he's over there and you got to come deal with right it's a way to mitigate um you know battlefield stop scoring you got one silly tank sitting on an objective not only might he kill him because he's coming in at strength 10 on the charge with six attacks and D3 plus one in turn two or three, it's it's an amazing asset to have. You know, I like the combat, you know, plus one to wound, yeah, whatever. If he's there, and they're wounding most everybody on fives anyway. I don't know. It is, I mean, on, on three. And in a lot of cases, uh, you know, I, I don't, he's not, he doesn't mean that much to me. You know, if he put him on a bike, he'd be in every list. He'd be worth it. Um, but that's the reason that I run the 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 con on bike, not even a captain on a bike, but the con on bike. I, I think he's he's very low cost of 110 points, his ability to move around the battlefield and you know engage what he's got to engage. And that's why I keep him cheap. I don't give him any other buffs other than the the wrath of heaven so he can get around there and, and smack somebody. That's if you the cut the reaver lieutenant, what are you looking to pick up at those points? Well, actually, if, if he dropped, he, it would be replaced with my original choice, which would be a lieutenant uh, with a jump pack and twin lightning claws. Same modifications, you know, given OPSEC and all that. But the ability to jump out, a twin set of lightning claws, and just go go handle something, you know, with six attacks, hitting on twos, and wounding most everything on threes or fours, and, and re-roll uh, re into wounds. Um, doing AP minus three, two damage in turns three and four. He could really help to, um, you know, clean out some stuff. Now, the mistakes I make is when I get too aggressive with them, the characters and let them go in and do the fighting. Um, you know, they should just stay back and give the rest of the army their buffs. But sooner, sooner or later, you get into trouble and there's a play you got to make. And you need, in my opinion, it's a play you've got to, you know, everybody has to show up and do their job sometimes. You know, it's really interesting you bring this up. Um... This Reaver Lieutenant or this Lieutenant with Lightning Claws instead of the classic Reaver Lieutenant. So everybody runs the Reaver Lieutenant because he's got the the ability to turn off other people's obsec and he gives obsec and it's such a wombo combo. And now you're like, I want my guy to go do something. He needs some lightning claws. And the reason you do, I was actually just teaching a clinic about this earlier with uh Darkon Skari over in the war room, but is because you play your style of play is way more fly by the seat of your pants, you know, shoot from the hip. Let's just play 40K. Let's see the situation and then let's adapt to it. It's not like you don't go in with a set circumstance like this is what I'm going to do. This is how I envision this matchup going. There's this game going. You just kind of wing it. So having like very randomly capable lieutenants instead of this guy who's specifically purposed to do the Reaver Lieutenant aura makes a lot more sense for that style. So why don't you speak a bit about playing that style and what that's like for you? About what? 
about just that whole style, you know, like playing 40k, yeah, you know. So, yeah, that and that's always so in my history, right? I, many, many moons ago, I was actually a U.S. Army Ranger, and that's you know, small unit tactics, that's uh, ability to move and shoot, train in every aspect of whatever, you know, demolition, sniping, combat, and tactics, and small unit operations. And that's, believe it or not, that's the same way I play my 40K, right? You have a plan, right? And that's, all right, I have been engaged. There's, I've been given a set of orders, which is, you know, uh, boils down to what has to happen in interaction on the battlefield. But you, your plan never supplies contact with the enemy. So you're, in my opinion, my force needs to be a reactionary force that's very elite, but fast, mobile, and able to take on a bunch of different aspects of jobs. Right. And that's what's so appealing about the white scars is even in turn three on, even your stupid, stupid melted bikes coming in with nine attacks are still AP one, two damage. And if you need them to go punch a couple of Joe Snuffies off of an objective, they can do it and shoot somebody on the way. Um, same with the lieutenant, in, in my opinion, he needs to be able to, you know, sometimes he's got a job to do, you know, a pesky character or, you know, a, a small unit of three mechanicus hiding out on a on a on an objective somewhere that's 20 inches away a reaver lieutenant ain't getting there but a dude on a jump pack advancing 18 plus 119 inches you know because of a good roll in the plume of the planes runner and next thing you know he makes his seven inch charge and just takes that objective and then all of a sudden the game swings you know um in the game against mark i ran out of time but because i was fast enough i owned every objective and you know what his shooting fell apart i own the i own the um the uh the the objectives and i felt like steve pampreen with no clock and scoring all the points because couldn't take my stuff off because he made his, his 700 models and i made armor stays same concept you know it was it was really good and and i'd like the list based off that matter of fact i've been reworking lists all week and i keep coming back to the same list you know uh, matter of fact and and making adjustments to add more of the units i like I mean, you just won a GT like four days ago, and you're already making changes to your list. Why? Why is that? What's innovating these changes? Uh, well, because during the tournament, you look at you know, I would, like every tournament I've ever been to, the second it was over, I start reworking the list immediately because you're you're fresh off what the mistakes were, what the challenges were, um, you know, uh, and that's the thing. Like, you know, I think in ninth edition, I have uh, 18 competitive games. Right. That's it. Um, you know, usually at this point of the year, we've played in excess of 50 or 60, you know, or, or more. So, you know, what's going on, you know, now I'm still getting surprised. I'm coming up to a, a, a list and I'm like, damn, oh, got to make an adjustment because that's not, that's not working out the way you hoped it would. Or, you know, you listen to somebody on the internet because something, somebody thought something was cool and you're like, man, that sucks, you know, cause it doesn't fit your play style, you know, or whatever. You know, let's uh, uh, what's that? Let's talk about that for a second. You made, I think, a really interesting uh, comment, and that is, I think maybe your greatest strength, Pat, is you understand how you want to play the game, and you build lists that fit your play style. Uh, is that a long journey? Like, what would you what would you tell a new player to sort of get the feel for what their play style is? What would you tell them? I would say, don't plan on winning anyway. Because you're not gonna. Because there's way more many people that are there. Play what you love, right? And, and put your models together and become an expert at it. You win more games knowing what your stuff does than you ever will, you know, jumping around. 
you know, there's very few people that can master, you know, every army or, or play this game on a, on a super high level. Cause there's so many pieces that interact and movement and toughness and, you know, what they're good at hiding at and, and how they can hide and how they can move and how to interact in the battlefield and what your opponent can do. You need to be more prepared on not what your opponent can do, but what you can do when they're trying to do it to you. You know, I, and I think that's, you know, uh, the best way for me to uh, interact and, and play the game, you know, flexibility. Yeah, I think that's a that's a really good point. Like ultimately, I think your style of plays is actually harder than one that's like kind of the same thing over and over again. I was actually talking about this with myself. I have a very kind of predictable play predictable play style. Not to say that it's ineffective, but I try to make choices and build lists and f- get people to come to me so I can then go kill them. I can be very reactive. You play very much more freely, and I think that's a much harder task to do because you have to be able to just figure out situations on the fly and know how to do it. So how do you make those decisions? What goes into your thought process? Well, once again, like I, I talked about earlier, it depends on your opponent, the deployment, the mission, and what you're trying to accomplish. You know, if, if you're up against a huge gunline army that could wipe you off the table, you better have some shit out of the way. And then you better make sure that you got somewhere to hide. Um, if you, you know, if you're, if you're dealing with something that's, uh, you know, like a knight, you better set up some blocking and, and stop them dudes from touching your important things in a, in a very bad spot. Um, you know, it, it's all about, you know, uh, and then that's where movement comes into. You need to be able to get around the table. You need to be able to interact the battlefield. Sometimes you have to ignore the army altogether and just get the points you can get because, you know, if you stepped anywhere near them, you'd get annihilated, you know, so it all it all depends on, you know, where to strike, where to slow down. I, I think my my game against Mark was just getting his uh, little Killy, um, Killy Electro Priest stuck in their deployment zone, right? They didn't even get involved in the game till turn four. And they were souped up because I gave them little things to kill and I didn't care because they couldn't get to what, was, what mattered. And that was me destroying the rest of the army and owning the battlefield, uh, you know? And, and that comes from experience and know what the major threat is. You know, sometimes you got to hide from the threat. Sometimes you got to go touch the threat. Sometimes you just got to run away from the threat, i.e. death guard or, or whatever, you know? All right. So with this shoot from the hip strategy to 40K, how do you go about picking your secondaries for each game? Well, some things I can control, and that's my movement around the battlefield. So those ploy scramblers is almost always one. Um, you know, engage on all fronts is almost always one. Because if you're not around the table, you're not going to be able to hold objectives. And the, the goal is to hold objectives. So those two fit very well. Plus, with my deep striking set, um, I can get that. What I what I don't like is objectives, and, and I guess domination could fall into that, though I very seldomly take it. Uh, you know, if someone's got a lot of tank, you know, you got to kill them or you're going to die. So you better take, um, you know, kill the big ones. Or same with, um, you know, a center battlefield objective, and you got um, tanks and characters, or you know, monsters and tanks. Then Ultra Moment is amazing, right? Um, the only thing about Oath of Moment is, uh, you know, I'm always falling back and running away and then repunching. So, you know, I'm always going to give up. And that's why I think that, um, my scores, you know, are, are always between 85 and 95 because I don't take maxable objectives. Um, because I want to take guaranteed objectives, control the battlefield and just keep my opponent from getting in. Um, I think in the entire last, 
two tournaments, Texas and here, I think I scored one 100 or maybe, you know, but mostly it's in the low 90s. And, you know, this is maybe not a great tactic, but I can control it and very seldom do I get shut up. Do you, uh, do you find, Pat, that you often force your opponent to miss out on some primary points because of your projection of force and your ability to sort of stand out objectives and sort of leer <laughs> leer at them and dare them to come into you? That's exactly how my army is designed to win games, right? I just, you know, and then and, and, uh, listen to a lot of other folks because I'm a connoisseur in the, of, of information and and, I'm, and, and I, I love the work that you guys do. You're amazing. And I, many hours, many, many hours I've listened. Um, but I, I, and everybody's got different ideas. My job is to stop you from wanting to do your job. My job is to enforce my will uh, and disrupt your plan of attack in every way, shape, or form. And sometimes my will is to allow you to do what you want and come, you know, bully the center of the board or whatever, because that's what your army wants to do. And I run around and kill everything else. And you're like, damn. What the hell happened? I'm surrounded, you know, which is a, a phenomenal style of play. And it's so much fun, you know, um, and that's just how it works. You know, that, that style, the style of list that I, that I normally play. Yeah. Even when I was running Gilliman, he's doing the same damn thing. You know, I, I was never, I don't know if I've ever played a static gunline army in my whole life. No, I totally agree. Like that style is very rewarding to play. It's very fun. It's just it's it's playing 40k, not hiding during 40k. It's like playing. Yeah, 40K. there's no hiding. <laughs> um, with that said, though, do you think that this style, like especially with your white scars, like your white scars list in particular, um, is it too terrain dependent? Like if you said Dallas and Maryland both had pretty good terrain, do you think in like a format like maybe ACO where they're using a lighter terrain table? Do you think you're going to struggle with that? No, I don't see. So, like, let's pretend you're just a. It depends. Are you going first? There's less things to slow you down. Now you're really in trouble. You know, the type of deployment or the battlefield. Um, I think that uh, my ability to reserve, you know, a good portion of my army um, allows me to, you know, keep them safe and use what little terrain I have to my advantage. Um, Let's talk I, I, about that really quick. Like, what do you reserve? I didn't imagine you reserved too, too much. Well, I could reserve all the Vanguard. I could reserve the Plasma guys. I could reserve, I can outflank the two um, speeders. So that's five of my units already that are safe in the turn one. And they all take up a lot of um, battlefield. You know, the in, Inceptors are on big old bases. The speeders are on big old bases. And then their flimsy is all get up. Plus, I got them on big, stupid, ridiculous bases. So they're even, you know, more taller than they should be. And, you know, not that that's a uh, benefit to me. It's more of a detriment, but they look cool. So, you know, that's how we roll. So it's a matter of, you know, keeping that stuff squared away. You know, it's just like anything. You know, you walk into a towel army that's just designed to sit up in an open bowling ball battlefield. You're not going to stand a chance, you know. Um, you know, that's when you send in the, uh, you know, the first armored cavalry division. I just don't happen to belong to that part of the army. Yeah. I think that's why God made Imperial Fist in the guard. All right. So, John, do you have any questions for Pat? Um, I was just thinking, There's. I just realized you have no Psyker in the list. I, I haven't seen a, well, and I don't, I'm not too up on White Scar's technology, I guess, but I kind of feel like there's some pretty useful Psychic abilities, right? Is there is there a reason why there's no Psyker? Well, the, the reason there's no Psyker is if I if someone has a psych, Psyker-heavy army, then, uh, you know, I'm going to kill them. 
I might as well get paid for it. So get the points for killing psychers, and you can't do that if you have a psyker. That's why I have the rod on um, uh, on my chaplain, just to make psychers think about it, you know, getting up in there. They do have a great, um, a couple of great uh, psychic powers, but I don't run a lot of Phobos units. So, you know, one of them is to let Phobos moving, move, uh, uh, units move. There's also the plus two to advance and charge, which is beneficial, like in my old list, when I used to run Centurions deep striking from uh, outflank. Um, you know, then the Liberian Terminator would drop in with them and, you know, then they'd be charging instead of a nine, a seven, you spend the first dice on a 3d6 charge. More often than not, they make it. There's a lot of benefits to having a Psyker. I've contemplated it, but then you're, you're, you're into your uh, fifth character. Um, and then when you got that, you, you're losing valuable bodies on the battlefield for a, a buff character that I don't think is necessary you know, um, in this style of list, this, this list is, you know, this is, we're like the, um, you know, the long range surveillance units, the, we're, we're all fast, we're mobile and we got, you know, a couple of heavy armored punchy dudes running up through the middle to engage, uh, anybody that dares come that way. And that's the reason one, I don't want to give up any more, um, than necessary. And I'm trying to deny my opponent easy pick, you know, um, so for the psychers, though, like, you're giving up the ability to do psychic ritual and mental interrogation stuff. And for an army that wants to be just super flexible, being able to do whatever, I figured that would be more valuable to you. Then, no? Yeah, and I, I'm not going to disagree with that. But also, you know, he's, you know, that's someone else. I got to keep a ball of dudes together. Had I had that with Mark, I don't think I benefit. I think I lose um, because, you know, that's a unit that couldn't go out and trade. That's a unit that couldn't go lock something up, you know, yeah, maybe he does a couple of wards, uh, a couple of wounds through smiting or whatever. Uh, but you know, if I'm in the, in the middle of the battlefield in that arm and that, uh, in that particular layout, uh, I'm dead. There was nothing there, but a fort. What's my dude going to stand out there and get bombed by all them tanks. It, it just wouldn't happen. Uh, I get and, you. And I guess I it also one power, maybe eh. you yeah. raised one other question for me though. You, there's a lot of movement shenanigans going on with the Phobos stuff. Like Eliminators have the the shoot and fade thing. You there's the Warlord trait for. There's the psychic power for it, and that's right up your wheelhouse, right? You want to be moving all over the table. Have you considered any of those units, or why aren't you using them? Well, you know, once again, I like the the ability. You know, the jump packs are super fast and they're very killy, and that's why they're in so many lists right now. Uh, the Inceptors, they're you know ten advancing assault weapons. They're doing heavy work. Um, but that's Mark V armor, so he wouldn't benefit them. You know, the only Phobos unit I have, other than the uh, Incursors, right, they, it would be it would benefit them. But I, I think the way they were used as the uh, screening or early objective grabbing or, or locking them, I don't think it would do them any benefit. And if you double move them, saying, you can't assault anyway, so now I've made them useless. What if you yeah. added more Phobos units, though? Like, what if you took more Infiltrators or Eliminators, things like that? Yeah, maybe if they make them better, I'll do that. You know, but I have the list of, um, I had a list. This is one of my evolutions. I had the two sniper units in there, uh, you know, making the character stay away or whatever, but it just wasn't effective. It didn't have the teeth that this list has. And, you know, I think, you know, the, the ability for the teeth, and it's just, it would just change the style of it, right? Because if you double move something, then they can't do nothing. You know, so it's not like uh, some of our, uh, you know, more evil or brothers that can, you know, double move and do something and still attack and 
assault and charge and tyranny is double moving and charging. You know, you want you double move. So I I will use that two CP strat to double move just to grab an objective. Or I would use that two CP strat to move and, you know, because I could do it with any unit if I wanted to. It doesn't have to be a Phobos, I believe, um, you know, um, for the yeah, White Stars. So, the White Stars one, yeah. Yeah. Um, and that, so I am doing it just without having to spend the points on the, on the Phobos That's unit. That's actually really cool because, like you said, Phobos units are kind of bad. The movement is really their shtick. Um, yeah. But you're doing it without with the good units. I guess that's why your army's so awesome. Nice. It's working, obviously. Okay, I have one last question before we move on to part two and start really talking about optimal play with the list. And that is, Pat, what are what do you spend your CP on typically? Like, what are the most important stratagems? What are you what are you saving those uh, those points for? Yeah. So in most of the games that I played uh, this weekend. I finished the game with four and five and six CP. I'm not spending a lot of CP on anything. What I am spending CP on is the 3D6 charge pick the highest. What I am spending the CP on is, um, you know, keeping that last bike alive, right? So that um, the apothecary can bring them back. What I am spending the CP on is uh, transhuman physiology. What I, uh, you know, to keep that unit, because, you know, often I will put a bait unit out and they're tugging cover. They got a one-up armor save. They got a four-up invul save. They're in the field no pain range. And I want them to shoot at that unit, right? Because they might survive. And if they survive, they're still going to cause havoc, which keeps all my other assets intact and allows me to Voltron on and enact my game plan. So it's for me, the CP usage is getting in combat, touching, and then, uh, you know, um, really surviving. So that's, you know, you can't win if you're dead. So. Oh, I believe that's it. But more often than not, I'm not even using it because none of my army, none of my army is such a big unit that you know cost me a lot of extra CP to do with it. It's just uh, you know MSU style. It's always been my style. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks for that, Pat. Uh, I'm really excited to talk about episode two because your army definitely changes like the wind. And in part two, we're going to go through every individual matchup and talk about how you play against every specific army. So that's going to be super exciting. Yeah, I'm, I'm thrilled. I'm All glad right, to be a part of. We're we're excited to have you, Pat. I've always, I've been a fan of yours for a long time. Uh, remember, I first met you at the Battle for Salvation, and you were very kind to me. Um, you know, being a newbie walking around looking at all these big names, it was it was pretty fun. So uh, I'll always remember that. Yeah, I always think of myself as a wannabe. Yeah. <laughs> big name stuff, but at least I finally got there. My there you go. Shelf, I, I need a bigger shelf now. <laughs> Well, maybe this will be the first of many to come. I'm wishing you all the best. Yeah. Okay, listeners, dear listeners, it is that special time of the show where I get to tell you to go sign up for our Patreon or go to the artofwar40k.com website and you, where you can sign up for all of our podcasts and get them right through the website. Uh, and I think you can even get multiples of them for a little bit of a discount. So if you're interested in that, you should check it out. Um, right now, we're going to go on to episode two where we talk about the nitty-gritty, dirty details of optimal play uh, with this awesome White Scars list. Uh, for everyone, um, all of our patrons and our lovely supporters, we'll see you in Episode 2. For everyone else, we'll see you next week. Like what you just listened to? Check out Art of War Down Under, where we break down armies and new rules. Theartofwar40k.com This episode was brought to you by the Competitive 40K Network.